0: Calculating daylight.
1: Hey, listeners! This is Micus, creator of the kind of epic theme song, "Zombie Kids." If you're interested in finding out more about my music, you can check me out at micusmusic.com. Also, I am on iTunes, Facebook, and SoundCloud. You can look me up as Mikus Music, and that's M-I-K-U-S, and you know the rest. All right, peace out, everyone. Keep listening.
2: <laughs>
0: So, essentially, I, I just wanted to say thank you, and I don't think I, I pronounced your name correctly either, so forgive me <laughs> for starting off okay. that way. <laughs> it's Morin. Morin.
2: Morin.
0: I'm, an, I'm so bad, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay, don't worry. I really, really get concerned if somebody can't pronounce my last name because it's Canada, and then that means they have a problem with um, a grasp Canada. of basic uh, geography. But Is that that's
3: actually your name, Bob Canada.
0: Oh, I wish it were. No, no, it's not Bob. It's Gabe. But but yeah, it's Canada from from uh, the oh. the Gaelic uh, Canadian, though, which means ugly headed. So I've got that going for me.
3: Oh well, God, I thought I had a hard hard going name.
0: <laughs> what, uh, what does uh, what does what does mean in uh, in in, uh, in Gaelic? Like...
3: Moynar in, in means fair haired sea maiden.
0: Fair-haired, see- yeah, I think that's much better than ugly-headed. <laughs> it is hard to say, though, but it has a nice meaning. <laughs> uh, I don't, I, I, uh, in the other uh, interview I did from from Ireland the, this year, I got to gotta, gotta brag about that, because it's like, oh, well, I guess I can't really go around Cape Cod just pointing to everybody and calling them ugly-headed. I don't know how the nope. candidates would feel about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah But no, thank you, thank you for letting me get that diversion in there. But but yeah, Yeah. I won't take up a a lot of your time this morning. Um, uh, Essentially, I just wanted to to let you introduce yourself and um, and kind of quickly explain um, what is uh, is your your band and and uh, I I think I I especially love the fact that talking about names, uh, the name has has some extra significance uh, as well, since we're talking about um, traditional Irish music.
3: Yeah, and Danu is the Celtic goddess of fertility and um, prosperity,
0: and also um, is is kind of the 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 root word or the the beginning for a lot of a lot of myths. Even though a lot of uh, about her doesn't survive, uh, certainly the people who who at least have the epithet that say that they're. Um, they're of her lineage, it, it kind of is what, what is the basis for, for most of uh, I guess what Americans would call the fairy stories. and uh, Yeah, it,
3: and that's where the River Danube comes from too.
0: So it's a, a big piece of, of culture and I think a great name for, for a traditional band. And so when, when did you guys uh, get started and, and how did you come about joining the group?
3: Well, the group are going 20 years this year. We're actually on our 20th Anniversary tour around the States. And I joined in 2003, so that's like about 12 years ago. And uh yeah, I mean there's been a couple of lineup changes but at its heart we still have um one, two, three original members and then um there are actually eight of us on tour on this tour because we have some special guests with us also. But I'm the only female so feel very sorry for me. <laughs>
0: Absolutely, yeah. Uh, well, not not just a female. You are the maiden from the sea. So yeah, that's right. <laughs> couldn't go on without you. But but um, <laughs> um, and and just in general. So you have a a new album as well that that's out this year for in 2015. Can we we hear a little bit about uh, about that? Uh, the name and uh, sure. It?
3: Well, um, our album just came out in January. It's called Bullen, which means um, everlasting and steadfast and enduring. So we thought it was a good name to describe the band and kind of what we've been through the last couple of years and that we're still here, we're still, you know, we're still talking to each other, <laughs> we're still enjoying each other's music and it feels just like a, a really important time in our history as a group. So we, we wanted to kind of commemorate that with a an, a, a significant name, yeah and the, the album then um, yeah it's something we're really proud of we we did it with um, Donald Lonnie who's an amazing producer and totally brought out the best in us and gave us a great confidence and was just so encouraging as a producer it was a very inspiring experience to work with him and I think at its heart you can see that it's still an extremely traditional album because we're never going to stray from our roots that's what we do that's what we are But um, I think you can just hear everybody blossom a little bit more within that genre as as a musician and a singer and whatever, so very proud of it.
0: And as well you should be, we're happy to to have you on the show and... Uh, essentially, um, the premise of this, other than than just getting the chance to to hear a bit about the the new album and uh, where folks can find you, we hope to have this up as early as Tuesday. And of course, I've got you while you're on tour. So, where where can people find you um, uh, in here in the in the states over the the course of the next uh, uh, kind of coming week or so?
3: Well, uh, we only have four dates left. Um, we're heading to Brookfield today, Brookfield, Wisconsin, and we have two dates there. Um, Then we go to Wausau, Wisconsin, and then we're flying out to Davis, California to play in the Mondavi Center for St. Patrick's Day. So if anyone wants to catch our dates, they're on the website, danu.net, N-E-T. Um, You'll find our remaining dates there. But we're out every December and every March, so I'm sure we'll be in your vicinity at some point. We actually, the only American state we haven't played is Alaska. So that's on our list.
0: Didn't didn't go alphabetically, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> they're using the um this ninth century story from uh, about King Fergus Mc I can't say his name <laughs> Fergus MacLeita and and he uh, yeah. and it's this really comical thing where kind of like maybe J K Rowling got her idea for Gillyweed because it's these yeah. water sprites that come up and uh, okay. and he's being dragged off to the sea and he wakes up because he's being dragged off and then uh, they're like oh no you've got us uh what do we, what do you want and so that you won't you won't kill us and then he's like uh, i'd like to walk around under the sea like you guys do that seems really neat he's like oh well just stuff these herbs in your ear <laughs> and enjoy walk around but never come back here because there's a scary monster and then he does and then he gets his face all twisted up and it's just this hilarious story and so then eventually i guess that became what what we know but there's there's that's why that's why yeah, you ha- people we'll have to listen to the episode like, it's,
3: it's, i wish my husband was here with me he's actually a phd folklorist
0: that's awesome paying so like, it's
3: not my thing, but my god, it's really his thing. He would be he would be fantastic. I could put him
0: on your show. <laughs> I think he will so. We we'll have to invite him back because yes, yeah, absolutely, invite him back. Definitely because <laughs> we have these two. We have two um, uh, two people who got their their masters in, in Irish ling- uh, linguistics and uh, and are working on it and have have some have, have a podcast where they they go into depth about um, some of the the stories that they're able to, to, to find and then do the the linguistic roots in, in some cases, but mostly they just want to tell find out where. where where the beginnings of these stories are, and so we have uh, we have that one, and like I said, we have some about about Mangan uh, and Mither, and just kind of basic questions about uh, uh, about Irish myth, and I think I think it'll be a, a neat episode. So, just in light of that, what do you what do you think? Uh, it's up to you, as I say. What what do you think would okay, be a good accompaniment? Okay, well, I think
3: if, it, if it's going underneath people talking, it might be a bit uh, confusing to put a song under there. So maybe put an instrumental piece. We have a nice piece. Um called Cash Lawn Rahana and I think it's like oh it's around number eight there um and it it was um composed by our fiddle player after my husband brought him to see the castle belonging to the Knight of Kerry which is actually built within a much, much older ring fort and so the, there are so many stories to do with that place that and my husband was telling them to, to Oisin and Donler guitarist and they got very inspired then and composed those kind of two pieces that they stuck together so they're they're really evocative and I think they'll suit your storytelling.
0: That sounds awesome. And then, uh, from all I know of Irish myth, I have to say, don't let don't let uh, Oisin, uh, ride around on a, on a horse uh, on the way back to to Ireland. He <laughs> even exactly. <Well, I>, <laughs> disappeared
2: down a sewer, and we were terrified for him. But anyway,
0: <laughs> do you have to? You keep him on. You keep him on like a, just a floating pad. Uh, all the all the shows. Don't let him touch the ground or try to assist yeah. uh, assist moving boulders around. So. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Well, listen. It's been nice to talk to you.
0: I will let you get back to uh, to your your uh, preparing for the tour there, and just thank you so much for for your time. Uh, and thank you, and um, a- um, happy St. Patrick's Day to you all. And thanks for taking an interest in our mythology and our stories, because sometimes
3: I think people will only scratch the surface and they don't understand what's underneath it all. So that's amazing. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Goodbye. Bye. This is, of course, The Kind of Epic Show, and with us today are, actually, I think it's always best, you two are storytellers, why don't you introduce yourselves and and ask, what is story archaeology, and, and who are the story archaeologists? Who do I have with me today?
4: including storytelling, I also partly teach and work with oral skills development, but yeah, story, writing, doing all this sort of stuff, and story archaeology is the most important thing at the moment. Yeah, and I'm Isalda Carmody, and um, my background is in, I suppose, academic study of early Irish literature, Um, that's as well as doing uh, theatre stuff and other bits of writing and so on. Well, yeah, (laughs) if you want our CVs, (laughs) if you've got a couple of hours, (laughs) but they are on the website at storyarchaeology dot um, yes, yeah, those... that's our big collaboration. What is story Oh god. Well no, <clears throat> that's interesting. we Isoda and I have worked with Story Stories and with mythology for I think it's must be close on twenty years. Uh, and it's not quite, but it's, it's, getting, it's, <laughs> it's, it's getting there. It's, getting it's there. A long. No, that's not fair. I've been working on it for a, a very long time, but I didn't have an I didn't have an <laughs> I was uh, always stuck having to work with translations mm. or work with what I could get hold of, and always aware that there was a whole level there that I couldn't look into. Mm. And I always loved it as story and used it in storytelling. Mm-hmm. But being able now to be able to, the last few years, we were writing a book and realised yes. that we were never going to get to the end of it. No. <laughs> and that's where the, sort of, the idea of podcasting came into it. Because uh, every time we go and look at a piece of Irish mythology, uh, even things we, we think we know really well. really well. We find we don't. Yeah, it's just all this- New stuff comes up, and it's a combination of the, if you like, the philological or academic analysis of written texts, and then the experience of the oral storyteller, um, and really combining those skills to try and get at what lies underneath. Uh, the, the layers that we encounter of Irish mythology. And why we called it Story Archaeology. Now I'm not a qualified archaeologist, although I, it's been a passion of mine all my life. Mm. Um, a historian, not, not an archaeologist. But I love archaeologists. Yeah. And in the other trousers of time, I would become an archaeologist, but I was yeah. pushed into teaching and yeah. I love it. But um, we wanted to look at Story as an archaeologist would look at a site. Yes. Now in our case, older is the field archaeologist yeah, yeah. uh she is the one who actually really digs down into the trenches coming up with small finds tray full of wonderful philological finds i'm the one with the trowel that's right i'm a, a, a folklorist and a historian more the looking at the context yeah um i have a, a wider knowledge of probably of, of world folklore and world story yeah and if you like i'm the landscape of archaeologist of the pair. Yeah. And we're using this as, it like, as an extended, uh, quite detailed metaphor, yeah. because as you look at story also, we, we, we find, you've got, every so often you come across compacted layers. yeah. The most famous one would be between the 12th and 14th century, which yeah. was about as romantic as the 19th century. Exactly, yeah. And trying to get down beneath those layers where there's been so much interpretation according to... That period in time. Sometimes it's very difficult to get through to what was there beforehand. Mm-hmm. So it's and to see the journey, the tangled journey of a story yeah. through the the woodlands, mm-hmm. um, well, through the forest, mm-hmm. and especially when you've got uh, as we were dealing, you know, with in our know, last podcast or the one that's just coming up with the uh, the constant. Um, desire to for the for the sense of historicity. Yeah. With the questing beast of historicity <laughs> and people rushing off for the shortcuts. Yes. Yeah. So that will make sense. Once comes something we've got quite interested Yeah. Does that help to explain why
0: we uh uh talk about what we do Stories though. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's the the main purpose of today is we wanted to invite you on to talk a little bit about um about that and i was going to start with um i I think this is for for isolda um also i wanted to test out i wanted to see if i could actually even say the name of your your podcast because i'm so terrible (laughs) it seems so intense and amazing i'm so amazed listening to your stories and and all your place names and everything just just getting learning to fall in love with the irish language which i don't even think most americans know that there is such a thing or that it's called irish in english
4: yeah, tell me about it. <laughs> we think
0: that it's Gaelic, but it's, well, it's Irish, but it's not. And it's, it's confusing. Well, that's a whole other question. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but no, no, I mean, it, I, I believe, yeah, the, the question really was, I mean, how how do you feel? Um, uh, or, or how, it, how is um, the celebration of St. Patrick's Day perceived in Ireland? <laughs> I mean, for, for native Irish speakers in particular? And, and how do you feel just in general about the commoditization of Irish culture? And then maybe as a follow up, because kind of a devil's advocate here, how how, how do do people feel better about um, maybe Irish diasporan communities who are interested, people who, who try and come back to try and learn about about their roots or about their family in Ireland? Is that something that's looked upon well, as opposed to oh, it's St Patrick's Day, why don't I drink green beer and let's dye everything and mm, oh look, it's a leprechaun, even though they're not called that. Well,
4: uh, that, it's a very complex question you've asked me there. <laughs> Of answers. I mean, on the one hand, I wouldn't kind of consider myself a typical Irish person, um, and so there are some parts of, if you like, contemporary ideas about Irish culture, which I would have very little to do with. But I think if even if I was of a different nationality, I would probably still be just as uh, snobbish about what most people do. <laughs> so, yeah, so this is a caveat. I'm a cultural snob. Um, you also were both brought up within the Catholic community. No, I wasn't. Uh, which it, is an important point. It really is, and it makes me um, an outsider in Ireland, the fact that I wasn't brought up uh, in any church tradition at all. Um, you wouldn't believe how rare that is. Um, but uh, my childhood memories of St. Patrick's Day was once going in to the centre of Dublin to see the St. Patrick's Day parade. But we were um, at a spot that was near the start of the parade so there were marching bands marching past us not playing any music um, because they were saving themselves for the the big finale so they weren't playing music so they were just marching past and occasionally going one, two, three, four and then marching on again Um, then there were the floats uh, which people of my generation will remember the only thing about these floats was that they uh, drove along along slowly saying -A 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 A, T, A Security, which was just just even the sponsor, yeah, of, of, of the parade. Um, and at one point, uh, I remember, I sort of got to the front of the crowd and there was some bloke who was going around and I thought he might be giving out sweets, but he turned out to be someone who I hadn't a clue who he was He was just shaking people's hands. He was probably a sports guy. Um, so that was what the Patrick's Day parades were like when I was a kid. Martinus made a difference, didn't they? Martinus made a huge difference. There was uh, a real... Shift in ideas of Irishness and what it means to be Irish, and one of the factors was Riverdance, um, which I know a lot of your listeners will be familiar with. Um, but Riverdance was an absolute revolution. It was the first time it became cool to be Irish. Um, and uh, since then, um,
0: yeah, I mean, the Darby O'Gill and the Little People from Disney didn't make it cool to be Irish. This is a joke. I'm sorry. I, I didn't mean oh, that. No, in... no, no. You're, you're, <laughs> you're absolutely right. You know, it, go and look at Darby O'Gill and the little
4: people if you want to be deeply, deeply offended. I mean, one of Star Trek The Next <laughs> oh, yes, Generation's yes, worst, worst awesome. ever episode was about diddly Eye potatoes, Irish people. <laughs> so, yeah, that, that's where we were coming from. But with the advent of Riverdance, yeah, it, it suddenly changed. And... There's been a genuine revival in the use of the Irish language since then. You know, it was kind of like the marker point, I suppose, of a, of a turn in attitudes towards Irishness. Um, after that, we got our first Irish language television station, uh, tg Carr, which is now um, one of... It is, in fact, the best um, indigenous television producer. They do all the good documentaries. They do all the interesting dramas, you know. Um, they do SpongeBob SquarePants. I was going to say, my, daughter, in Irish. my daughter only knew about SpongeBob in Irish. Exactly, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so suddenly in the late 90s, there was this a, a real change. And as Chris mentioned, Mark... Mm-hmm. Mark was- I, needed to, I was waiting for you to explain yeah. exactly what that was. Uh, there there were a, a street theatre group who made um, the most incredible large puppets and costumes. They also did theatre. They did like wordless theatre pieces. And worked with mythology. Exactly. So they did a wonderful version of The Toy yes. and The Birth of Blue. Yeah. And uh, they became almost like a, a, a standard, a gold... Yeah. standard of what uh, performance arts and Irish performance arts should be. Yeah, and of course where they came to uh, prominence was in things like St. Patrick's Day parades. Mm. and. Then you were in the build-up to the millennium. And in the build-up to the millennium, there was money around. And there was particularly money around for festivals and for the arts. And so it, that was kind of a golden age, really. It was. We, we ran our own performance arts group at that time, yeah. doing not street theatre, theatre in the street, yeah. based on the Irish myth and legend, yeah. including we reckon we're the only people who ever put the Book of Invasions out as a piece of theatre in the street. Yeah, yeah. Um, but this, this is kind of just to give you, I suppose, an overview review of like you know the, the modern trend in uh, Irish culture around the same time though uh, there's a very specific moment I remember which is the two American football teams came and played a match in Dublin um I think one of them was is it Notre Dame who are
0: called the fighting Irish oh that's yes well yes I mean that's a okay so caveat yeah. I, I you're, I'm, you're getting this this Skype call from Indiana where Notre Dame <laughs> is uh, essentially required it's a <laughs> bit like it's a bit like irish i'm told and rugby kind of like mm-hmm. if you they they make inspirational sports movies it's like a bit of our economy <laughs> we don't okay, support yeah, notre yeah, yeah, yeah. we're, dame we're not good hoosiers apparently but no no no, no. I, I digress <laughs> don't know much, no no. About that. yeah yeah it's named about after about. a french cathedral but it's an irish catholic university
4: us on this side of the pond is that first of all, it's Notre Dame,
0: and somehow it's become Notre Dame. We live in Indiana, so it's Notre then, Dame. You have to understand we have a particular accent. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, not only
4: that, but then it's like, what does Notre Dame de Paris have to do with being Irish? So, you know, these things are really quite mysterious to us. So they were playing an American football match in Dublin against another American team. I don't know who. But the the, the, the fighting Irish side had a mascot, which was someone in a leprechaun costume, like the, the green hat with the buckle on it and, you know, the red beard and all that kind of thing. And I kind of remember that as a moment that Irish people started to buy in to an American idea. Of I've what Irishness it is. is. Yeah. And not just leprechauns as well, yeah. but um but very particularly an American idea of Irishness. There was also at that time because you know, we were in the so called Celtic Tiger years, which is when Irish the invisible people tiger. Irish people had money and really didn't know what to do with it, so they just frauded their way uh, Into new bankruptcy, Um, but it did include times when a lot of expats who had left Ireland um, in the eighties—they were coming back. They were coming back, Mm -hmm. and they were coming back with money. Um, So yeah, so that I think also created this kind of, if you like, foreign Irishness uh, that was bought into over here, Um, and yet you know, here out in the six, out Mm -hmm. in the west of Ireland, where things are a little different. Yeah. Or from the major cities yeah. we do not live in, a, in any sort of city no 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 god no uh, but it's still regarded by say the people i work alongside mm. as uh, ah it's a day off uh, in the middle of Lent. yeah when you're allowed to get drunk because yeah because, because it's a, yeah yeah and that uh, for, for people like us who are not drink big drinkers in any way The the drink is a big problem, you know, and again, I'm kind of reluctant because of the stereotypes of drunken Irish people, but but believe me, St. Patrick's Day is when you're going to find that stereotype, like, spilled all over the streets of any town and village in the whole country. I I mean, I go to Australia regularly, and I think it's still, I mean, you've got the same stereotype as uh, it's a day for For getting drunk, I know, yeah, and so... Yeah, so th- there's a way in which that also then colours the way that it's celebrated. Um, I mean, personally, I don't think that uh, the advent of Christianity is something to celebrate. Um, <laughs> <I just laughs> that, yeah. yeah, but, uh, but a particularly in, you know, a contemporary co- uh, country where religion shouldn't have anything to do with the state or with national identity, um, and yet yeah, we don't have big celebrations for, you know, the... Uh, our state gaining independence, you know, whether you're talking about the 1960 rising or, you know, the establishment of the Free State in 1922 or leaving the Commonwealth in 49, mm-hmm. you know, there's no kind of secular celebration of Irishness in that way. Now, a lot of things have got tagged on to Patrick's Day, so there is now, a shock the around Patrick's mm-hmm. Day, which is one week out of fifty-two where it's encouraged to speak Irish and to do things through the medium of Irish. Used to be when I was doing more uh, work, that used to be my busiest week of the year. Um, so, yeah, you know, there are things that have gotten attached to. And it. I think the language side is a lot more positive than oh, it when really I is. came came here back in nineteen eighty-nine. Oh yeah. Oh absolutely. I mean, in, in eighty-nine, ninety, um, all over the country. Um, people would not use the Irish language. It was deemed uh, backward. It was deemed oh, a, yeah. a language of poverty. I've, I've heard that it was kind language. of...
0: I've, I've heard it's also... It was kind of a political-seeming statement to speak it Irish. It can be.
4: It can be. It depends on where you are. Again, here in the West, when I arrived here, I mean, i just come down from the Western Isles, mm-hmm. and in a couple of months, I'd learned more Scottish Gaelic yeah. than in my first year. Living in Leitrim, yeah. where every time you'd say, "Look, I really want to, I wa- I, I, love this language. I want to find out about yeah. it. I want to learn it." Yeah. Oh, you don't want to bother about that. Yeah, that's yeah. So what. Oh, forget that. You won't need that. Oh, yeah. Was always what I was told. Yeah. Now I think that has it changed. changed. I've worked with lots of girls schools. Yeah. You know. Well, there are now lots of girls schools, which are schools that that teach uh, exclusively, more or less, through the medium of Irish, which there really weren't before. Um, it, it can have political connotations, um, particularly in Northern Ireland. It's a huge, huge issue, and you know there are all kinds of debates in the Northern Ireland Assembly where one side there was a, a famous, weird, completely unfunny joke made by a unionist politician about how, for all he knows, what the Sinn Féin people could be saying in Irish was about a curried yogurt. Who um, um, oh did? Yeah. This is the kind of stuff that's going on mm-hmm. at the moment in the Northern Ireland Assembly. So it's a huge political football up there. And, of course, because the nationalist side of the political divide uh, have the Irish language, which the unionist side have invented Ulster Scots, which, again, is a minority dialect. Um, it's a dialect. It is a dialect, though. You know, it, it doesn't quite have the same sort of cultural backing that it would need to be a language i don't want to insult people who use ulster scots and i'm interested in any minority language and if dialects are interesting yeah but they're not equivalent um so you know so yeah certainly up north it's a big issue um, down here yeah in the 80s and 70s particularly uh, if you spoke irish it and um, you didn't live in a Gaeltacht, which is an irish speaking region um then yeah people would have assumed you had connections to the ira basically Ooh. um time for that's, that's changed, changed. huge in the really times that
0: i've lived it in the yeah, 25 years it's yeah. changed huge, oh, it has. It has so we, huge so we from, so we swung from we swung from if you speak irish you might be a terrorist to if you speak irish you're cool
1: <laughs> 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 or or, or talk, for, for no, a given no, no. value of cool <laughs> <laughs> years ago yeah. that would
4: have been the attitude oh, yeah. to, to the language it's very different today yeah exactly and and it has been a huge change and a very positive
0: change we're i i can't so see it as anything other than yeah, positive yeah terribly
4: positive about the way st patrick's day yeah. is celebrated at least we're being positive
0: about yeah very about the changes i, the I thought ideas. your your criticisms like... have all been rather mild compared to what i was expecting <laughs> oh, <my>. to hear <laughs> No, I mean Frank, because again, here I mean, there, like I said, we we have we have Notre Dame, we have something like one in five people in my state is is Irish, and so like the two probably the, or or Scott or uh, Catholic, something. Yeah. <laughs> they would they would tra- but but that would be the why or the origin of why they're they're Catholic is because they were an okay. immigrant community from there before there was a big rush of. Of of immigrants from from Ireland to to America, and so it had been more of an established tradition. And so then they have a ca- big Catholic university system and things of that nature. I grew up and went to a Catholic school because it was the best alternative. Yeah. To it was much better than going to a public school here because I would have been bullied and it would have been just a terrible terrible experience all around. And so those things still exist. And and so it became that the the my local Catholic church is St Patrick's or would be <laughs> because my yeah, my that's little parish shut uh, down.
4: Yeah, it, for the same reason. Mm. It's, it's, um, it, it is part of the community there mm. as it is in America. There's a lot of uh, uh, you know, people who, who have uh, Irish or oh, yeah. claim Irish ancestry. Yes. ancestry. Well, of course, I mean, what, one of the sort of big uh, influxes of Irish people to both Australia and to the United States uh, would have been in the early 19th century. First of all, you've got the, the penal laws, which meant that no Catholic could get an education or a job. I mean, it it was really quite horrendous. So this is the the era of the so-called hedge schools, Mm -hmm. where um, often priests who were in the educated class um, who weren't allowed to run services would literally teach children out in the middle of a field and very often taught them Latin Latin. and Greek and classics and all the rest of it. Uh, So a lot of Irish people then would have gone to the United States and there's a huge Irish-American movement that would have then supported... Their relations back in ireland oh um, yeah so it was a route to education it was a route to money and then of course once you had the famine the, the r- american parcel you yeah. talk to older people today here mm. who people in their 70s who will talk about the american parcel. yeah the package sent back the package, by the yeah, relations and yeah. the wonders that came out of this parcel. yes yeah, yeah so you know so there is a, a very long-standing relationship there and, and for some really very good me uh good reasons um, there was also a huge amount of fundraising done in, in the uh, kind of struggle for Irish nationalism. There was a huge American-Irish uh, contingent, although some of them thought that they were running the revolution and they weren't, uh, which did it cause serious problems. Um, you know, So th- there is this really long-standing and very genuine relationship, and yeah, up until very recent generations, and it's probably going to happen again now, particularly the unmarried daughters are sent off to the U.S., to earn money and send money back to their families. It was certainly happening in the eighties. Yeah. I mean, before that, I mean, I was working with um, the, the place on Catherine McCauley. Yes. And th- 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 that so many young women became nuns. Yeah. Not because of a, a religious conviction no, but it was the only way to get an education. Oh yeah. And to have a profession and yes. to avoid getting married. Yeah. So, you know, well, the Catherine McCauley was either told, you know, you can't do what you want unless you become a nun. Mm. Exactly. So she and became it, a nun. <laughs> She'd been a Quaker before. That. Yeah. So, yeah, so this is a rather rambling history lesson
0: right no, here. No, no, it's brilliant to because to I, I expected, I expected, oh, you silly Americans and you dyeing everything green and, by the way, <laughs> we hate this and this is horrible and I can't believe you, bl- <laughs> you you Americans and your silly ideas about what is Irish and, and all this stuff. So, no, it, it became, I mean, it's this is why you guys are going <laughs> up in the culture section. <laughs> so, it's much, much appreciated. And so, forgive my rambling question because I don't think it was a fair question to load in. How how do you feel about the the uh, the Irish diaspora? How do you feel about the commoditization of Irish culture? How do you feel about about weird green dyed things when it's not always been the national color and other things? And I don't they even know.
4: To they green. did. There was one year when they did try to dye the Liffey green. I think it's inspired by, is it the Chicago parade that always dyes
0: the... Oh, we dye every bloody heaven? thing green. <laughs> From Chicago to the White House lawn. I mean, literally, we dye the White House fountain green.
4: Yeah. Uh, yeah, they tried to do that in the Liffey, which is the river through Dublin, and I... <laughs> it would have gone a nasty grave, yeah, I It didn't really work, but it was only done to promote the movie Flubber. So if you're talking about commodification I mean that that's a pretty big one. Um the other thing though about the kind of the commodification and like the, the more recent um, sort of to and fro between the US and Ireland is that now it's all about money. Um, the, the dominant culture in Ireland at the moment is um, a monetaristic one. It's it's quite sort of it's classic late capitalist basically. So money is the ultimate argument for anything. So yeah. So essentially, the Irish have learned how to sell themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and even if, like, individuals or particular groups might be wary of, you know, Americans who come over and say, yeah, I'm Irish, my great-grandfather was half-Irish or whatever, while there might be a bit of cynicism, if they're buying stuff, we just won't complain about it. That's a shame because, I mean, as far as I can see, that the more people who are interested yeah. in this, what the, the wealth of the treasures of stories we've mm. here, Oh, that's all the better, isn't it? It is, but, you know, the, the, the availability of those stories... And oh, that's another matter. ...that has been really, really poor. And mm. there's ways in which, you know, Irish people have not yet realised that heritage and real culture are, can also be a commodity. You know, that's when strange. I first came back in... Eighty nine, eighty nine, ninety. And I was, I had uh, a lot of things I wanted to do, a lot of ideas with with working with mythology Mm. and folklore and setting up uh, workshops and things, which we did. Yeah. But, um, if you talk to, uh, shall we say, the tourist board, Ah, come on, she said, you know, you don't want to have people thinking we're backwards. Yeah. We want to talk to, we want to have smart cards for fishermen on the, what would the man in, what was it, was 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 all Dusseldorf? Well, what do you think about you know and you go that's not
3: why people are coming yeah,
4: here yeah yeah uh, they're not coming here for the rain they're <laughs> coming here for the there's the, 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 the something very special a quality yeah. of story of heritage yeah which 25 years ago the irish didn't want themselves no and, and i mean that word backward has been used as, as a stick for irish people to beat other irish people over generations it's uh, surely the stories just make us look backward oh. No, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. you, well, you don't want people thinking we we believe in fairies, you know. And um, um, yeah, it's it's typical post-colonial yeah. stuff. I'm the other honest. problem that you have is that the people here, it, well, wherever you go, people never value their own stories. No. You always have to with other people who go, eh, brilliant. Yeah, yeah. And. Um, you know that, i've discovered that most irish children they'll know the children of lear mm-hmm. they'll know um uh, fion. fion and the salmon of wisdom mm-hmm. and what they refer to as satanta yes it is not called satanta at all Sh- yeah <laughs> um the young Grun. yeah and i found that really these because these were the stories that were in the readers yeah. and that was it yeah they're the stories that were in my irish readers and they're still the stories and they're still there yeah they're still the only one and they're again and very very watered down potted versions based on very poor 19th century translations and yeah there's it's it's a very limited kind of scope i mean i'm constantly very pleasantly surprised and astonished by the the wealth in the early irish literature which i thought i had a better familiar familiarity with than a lot of my peers but now i discover just how little even mm-hmm. i
0: God, this is a yeah, wonderful jumping with. off point then um, because I, I the thing that I've been most excited about for this interview other than what I do with your with your current series of podcasts is that is that Mananon is is kind of a character or, or at least mclear and that there are many figures called Mclear is my understanding so I guess the question that I have and forgive the the long-winded intro <laughs> <laughs> I, I suppose the question is, is just, um you you'd had some kind of interesting territory that you were exploring with the, this character and then with his son Mongan as well and I am wondering if if you can kind of introduce these two rather fantastic characters I think that are almost as you say not just just not well known even among among people who who study Irish uh, stories which is interesting to me
4: yeah, well, I mean, for, for a long time now, um, Chris has been particularly determined that we're going to look into Mananon much more deeply. Um, and we have a few pet theories up our sleeve, which yes. we're looking to see whether they'll be borne out by the work that we're currently doing. Well, I mean, Mananon's such an international character mm. that he, it, although he's known for ours, now he is one who he really is. Uh, owned by more than one group of people. Absolutely. I yes. mean, he's Malinan in the Welsh. Yeah. He's, of course, uh, almost like the patron saint of the Isle of Man. Yeah. And I use that term advisedly. You see pictures of Malinan in a, in a bishop's mitre. Yeah. But obviously, he's seen as being very protective. Yeah. But the Irish stories, he's really interesting mm. because he's lasted so long. Yes. We find him in the early tales of um, the Im of Brand, yeah. which we've been talking about a lot in the Imrama series, yeah. where there he is because he's lord of the... You know. He He's like, if you like, he's a king of the other world. Yeah. It, but, but the other world of the islands, the mm. world that is out there. Yeah. So the one thing about Manan he's always out there. He's yes. always somewhere else. Exactly. It's, it's very much over the sea. I mean, that, that epithet of MacLear, um which literally means son of the sea um, that I think seems to indicate that he's always from somewhere over the sea. And it's usually islands. And those islands, they can be Isla, they can be Kintyre, they can be he, um, the Isle of Man, you yeah, know, yeah. the Isle of Apples, yeah, you know, they, they he's, uh, either real yeah. islands, yeah, or mythical islands mm. or other world islands, yeah, he's just from out there, yeah, and uh, uh, you know, he's not uh, the one thing we don't think he is is a god of the sea, no, uh, you know, we have this thing, yes, yeah, so we, we don't <laughs> like the, the G word, um. <laughs> but that's because I think it, 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 you know, they are ancestors, they are cultural, culture heroes, yeah. and mythological characters, characters uh, the, but there's no pantheons there's no you know, they're not divinity in that yeah. sense and, and you know that there's very little evidence for any sort of structured worship if you like or, or dedication in what we would currently understand as a religious I having context. said that when you look at the imra of Brahm, that nearly shocked us mm-hmm. because when he appears to bram to herald this birth this wonderful son yes uh, the, the scribe are getting so um, (laughs) worried about the way he's talking about his only son being born to... Bring this uh, new mission this, to save the, the mortal world. Yeah. They're going. Um, yeah. um. Um. Actually, that refers to God. Yes. Uh, not Manadan. Yes. And um. Yes. This. Son, no, they are talking about Christ. Yeah. Now let's go back to Mongol. Yeah. There's. I mean, the, the glosses are quite hilarious. I mean, there's one where it's talking about you know this this great child will be born to a mortal mother though her father is not known, and the scribe is putting put in a little gloss under the line which says I.E. Jesus Christ. I.E. J.C effectively you know they're, they're that worried about the closeness of the characters <laughs> but it does seem to be you know that that understanding man if you like to be a god is almost retrospective it is you it know is. He's the closest that we've come to someone who seems to have this status. Yeah, but that's but because he's the king of the other world. Exactly. You know, if you want so what,
0: king of fairies, you've mm, got... What's the difference around, between being there, king of... of the on the land. Mm-hmm. So what's the difference between king of the other world and, like, king of king of the she? Because you also have the, um, the character right. of Mither. Oh, right. <laughs> this is a biggie. Um, oh, and so, for and for people um, who haven't been listening to your podcast, <laughs> or fans of Irish... This, this so, is actually what we're coming up to next, mm-hmm. because... There is a
4: character who you hear now and again coming through in some of the stories whose name is Mother. Yeah. Now his name means judge. Yes. And uh, he turns up as a father of O yeah. he's he has one big story of his own mm, which, which is, is a the wonderful th- local story yeah the, the, the wooing of 18 which we did a couple of episodes yeah. on previously and where he looks for this woman over several generations yeah. because um she's kind of annoyed uh, <laughs> uh, yeah basically uh, yeah <laughs> he took a second wife without consulting his first wife and then was and she was annoyed by <laughs> she it she was annoyed yeah but uh, anyway <laughs> but it you know but but uh, Miller then sort of just... Dis- Yes, mm. except in one story where, um, uh, or there is a story of Cormac, the great and legendary King Cormac, mm. who disappears into a magical mist on the land mm. and finds himself with with uh, um, Malinam, yeah, which should be Mither, yeah. And we've looked at some of these stories, and there seems to be, you know, whereas a lot of the stories about the other world, which was this, it's not an underworld. Mm. This is a
0: parallel world. Would yeah? you call it the land of the uh, ever just like living, this one. or? Mm-hmm.
4: And um, that th- suddenly all these stories are given, therefore, to Mananar. Yeah. And all the magic is out there at sea. Yes. Yeah. Um, just to That's a bit quick, Emma. am I know, yeah. And there is a lot, and we're, we're still working on it. But I think also it's worth pointing out, the, the term she can be confusing um, yes indeed. of course I
0: forgot that yeah, yeah. <laughs> well yeah I was trying to do that but then you got really excited and I'm quite happy about that <laughs> I was like oh it's story. storytellers are excited this is awesome but no I mean like for for <laughs> listeners who aren't familiar with with yeah. kind of Irish terms like so what are what are the she what are what are I mean um are would it be fair to call them um what we might say like a fair we the fairy in a fairy story is, is that is that a, a fair like English or or kind of Americanization of of what the term would mean.
3: That's usually how
4: it's translated, but it is somewhat of a misleading translation. I mean, one of the interesting things about the term she is that it can refer to a place or to a group of people. And it's often very difficult to distinguish those things. And the places are usually hills which often have Neolithic burials in them. Um, And so there is this sort of doubleness where it's both a part of the land that's connected to the ancestors and it's the ancestor figures themselves and uh, don't let's get you know these are full size warriors yeah they are full size people yeah they are dressed in the most magnificent clothes but no more magnificent than the human kings exactly yeah you know stand as parallel yeah these are two parallel people yeah yeah and uh, there are all sorts of ways of rationalizing mm-hmm. as you get to about the high medieval period. Yeah. Somehow it has to be rationalized within the Christian world. Yeah. And so, either they are under the ground, and when they can't cope with them being under the ground, which they never were in the first place, yes. then they have to go over oh, the sea. Yeah. But also, you know, you, you do find later a kind of justification saying that they are the angels who didn't fall all the way to hell. And that's a continental... Yeah, you know, but there's also this, this what idea. we really found within the course of the Imrov type stories, these sea journeys, is that it's kind of marking a transition um, from That world of the other people being, you know, so close to ours that if you take a wrong turn in dark, you can end up there. As Exactly. To then being somewhere over the sea that you can't necessarily visit, and then you start getting stories. Exactly. You start getting stories where there's actual conflict between the people of this world and the people of the other world. You know, in the story of Nero, for example. You know, there's a battle between. Queen Maven, Kill Al- King Alil, and the local She people. There's some of it at the end of the, the story of Aiden A- Mither, where mm-hmm. suddenly all the She mines are getting dug up, which mm. is really horrible. Um, so you know, again, it depends on if you like what stage in that process you're looking at. But in modern or terms, what groups that you're working with, yeah. who, you know, there were different, as there always are. There are different ideas at different yeah. times, and people at the same time can hold many different views. Yeah, and even one person at the same time can hold many different views. So, um, so yeah, I mean, it's something that, again, which we didn't necessarily expect over the course of studying Imrov type stories that. This is a, um, a development that's becoming clearer and clearer. And in many ways, it's it's the relationship between Mither and Mananon that kind of stands for that whole process. Yeah. It
0: seemed, it seemed very strange in your episode because is, it's suddenly like, we've been talking about Mither for four episodes, and this is really fascinating, and then Mananon kills him. <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> yeah, we
4: have, I mean, they, they, they certainly what has really surprised us has been he mentioned before that we came in the prophecy of uh, uh, of An in Nimroch mm. Bran. Yeah, he mentions this son. Yeah, but nobody knows about this son. that, Mongol, that yeah. Mongol, And when we've gone through every story of Mongol, there is a wonderful story there. Mm. And in the recent one, we're looking at him uh, being the equivalent of Taliesin. Yeah, and uh, his death is very much the death of the famous King Arthur. Yeah, and yet this is uh, even historically this is. Older. Uh, older. Yeah, yeah. and as we've discovered so many times, you have a foreshadowing of quite famous stories mm. which have been which are in the old Irish stories which have almost been lost. Yeah, although the reason that Mongorn's stories have been lost is mm. because his mission became irrelevant. Yeah, his mission wasn't to save the world or be a great hero with a great big sword, mm. his mission was poetical. Yeah, and to be the poet king who, um, if you like, reunited this world with the other world through poetry because the magic mm. is not the mag- magic of wands yeah. and magic words, yeah. it's the magic of poetry yeah. and that, that's one of our big bees and our big bonnets. Uh, <laughs> but it, we, we, it comes up again and again <laughs> in the earliest stages.
0: The logger pens, I really enjoyed the, the Croc of Old Cobblers oh, episode. Mind. So can you, I, I, I think that just for the service of the article, I do have to ask you, <laughs> so leprechauns, they're not a thing? <laughs> On the podcast. And, i wonder uh, if, i wonder if you found I any I wonder, you found anything, I wonder if you found anything more like is is there just any 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 less like is there any more middle irish about leprechauns or are they totally uh a fabrication
4: well um just to, to maybe give a quick synopsis of the material that we have that concerns leprechauns in the earliest sources in the 8th century text of the adventures of Fergus MacLeita, we have them as lugger pan, which means small bodies. Um, Not that nothing to do with one shoe. No, no, the shoe, the shoe is a red herring. Mm-hmm. Um, then we have uh, this wonderful kind of 12th to 14th century early modern Irish text, which is hilarious. Which is absolutely gorgeous. And again, you know, we'll refer people to the podcast, I think, for a lot of the details. Um, but that also has the lugger pan. It's like an extended telling of the 8th century text um everybody should read that somewhere. yeah
0: yeah it's fortunately not <laughs> safe to go. work so it's perfect for our audience i beg your pardon oh i said it's it's not safe for work so it's perfect for our audience
4: okay okay <laughs> great um so yeah there's then kind of a gap if you like up until the 19th century oh and magnally yeah where basically the irish countryside was crawling with folklorists Trying to find anyone that looked peasantish and go up and say, "Tell me your folklore," um, and I reckon that some was got book. very cammy. There is a, a late nineteenth-century book by a man called D. F. McNally. The book is called, and you just yep, got it a great the title. title. It's called "Irish Wonders: The Ghosts, Giants, Pookas, Demons, Leprechauns, Banshees, Fairies, Witches, Widows, Old Maids, <laughs> and Other Marvels of the Emerald Isle." <laughs> And it's in this book that the descriptions of the leprechaun that you meet everywhere else, even in W.B. Yates. Yes, that's where it all gets it from. So there's one 19th century source although what's distinct between that and our modern image of the leprechaun is that the way the leprechaun is described oh, right yeah he's described as being about three feet high dressed in a little red jacket with red breeches buckles at the knee gray or black stockings and a hat cupped in the style of, an, of a century ago so in other words looking like an 18th century red coat yes an englishman right so we've They were giving being what they were giving to these folklorists was a rather rude description uh, descriptions of English people. What she means is we were taking the piss out of the English, um, and the English didn't even
0: notice. Wait, that's an American tradition. You keep <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you know what I mean.
4: Foreigners turning up, offering gifts, just yeah. like the nepicorns and yeah. taking them all away again. Yeah. that sounds like Yeah. <laughs> so it's it's kind of it's really nice it's because humor of the oppressed it really is humor of the oppressed, you know, but what What happened then, which is so weird, is that that image of the 19th century leprechaun I think it's when it got exported, where yes. it got exported as, as, you know, folk. It became that 19th century folk tale, yeah. which you're never quite sure whether it was coming from the peasantry yeah. or whether it was being going back to the peasantry who were perfectly literate, yeah. Yeah. who were reading these books and giggling their heads off. Yeah, exactly. But I think that it, it must have got exported, uh, probably early 20th century, got exported to the US, probably to England, and mm. um, probably to Australia. And then it, it no longer had that kind of, you know, Irish peasants like Halloween. That those Irish peasants uh taking the piss out of their English colonizers. It then turned into a parody of Irishness and that's when they turned green, I think. Mm-hmm. I think that's when they turned red haired. <coughs> um, and yeah, and were sold back to us. And we're still having trouble with the the pot of gold and the rainbow yeah. that you have theories. I do, I I think again and that's because outside of this tiny corner of the world there isn't much distinction made between irish english or norse i think the rainbow is Bifrost, which is the bridge into asgard Mm. Um, and i think that the pot of gold at the end has to do with the story of lokian and vari and you know getting the dwarfs treasure from the bottom of the sea oh there's
0: a there's a fantastic image uh, that i need to send you it's um it's a it's a it's a very popular t shirt in uh among American nerds, so among our listeners. And it's okay. called Loki Charms and it's it's Loki, the Marvel Loki. Um, yeah, with right. a with a sitting in front of a of a lucky on a lucky charms box and then it's like got perfect. perfect. that is absolutely perfect. perfect. I only went to see Thor for Loki. <laughs> I know. This, this maybe the whole culture, the whole cultural pastiche of, of of Great Britain and and Ireland and Scotland and oh. Wales and and the Isle of Man, and just that this collection of wonderful stories and cultures that, you, as you say, are quite distinct. But we're Americans, so we lump you all together. It's a, it's a- <laughs> But no, it's it's just there is something that we find terribly romantic, and ter- we can't help but be be impressed by anyone who speaks English and does it in a way that we don't do it. <laughs> it's just, we think yeah, we think it's yeah. fantastic, and and just like those stories in general are fantastic. I, I I felt like I was four year old four years old when I was hearing him talk about about two saints on the island of Iona and yeah. and just things like that. And it's just like this oral tradition that we to a certain extent don't have, and so we're just thrilled with all of it. <laughs> and yeah, so I'm that, yeah. I'm definitely nerding out today and have made these questions <laughs> made I these questions mean, far and away learned longer learned than they needed them. to be. Oh, what did you get excited about? About
4: how old it is. Yeah. It is so old. I mean my my love is of oh, Neolithic and, and oh. archaeology and so forth. I was over in Quebec de mm. last year. And that goes back twelve thousand years. Yeah. But there's not but but this these stories in their own terms written stories mm. as early as the 7th and 8th century. Mm. It's and it's one of the oldest uh, vernacular written literatures in Europe, you know. And, uh, and the treasures. Yeah. And particularly, you know, when, when we're finding these parallels with the better known Welsh and British material, mm. but going, actually, you know, there wasn't a written literature in English or Welsh until essentially the Irish vernacular literature was already in decline mm-hmm. by the time Welsh and British uh, authors how were neat, beginning to write how
0: neat would it be language. is if you're yeah, talking I about you were talking about, you were talking about Mongan maybe that's being maybe uh, being equated with like Arthurian cycle or the Arthurian legend and uh, and I, I think it'd be kind of funny if like this whole idea of the once and future King because you say like he's also Finn McCool and Taliesin. It's like, <laughs> There's something There's something to that Then isn't there So like if If, if somebody Just kind of Knocked it on Knocked it the nail on the head it's like Oh, oi It's this guy Who comes around Every couple of hundred years And
4: Yeah, right <laughs> The the going The episode and the article that's going along with it Yeah. introduces the, the its readers, because yeah. that is an article, to, um, we commend to you, Mongorn, the, the once and future poet. <laughs> yeah. Because it seems,
0: I mean, this is, you know, this seems to be... So he's more the Merlin figure, Mongorn, then. The death I... of Mongorn seems to be possibly
4: the origin mm. of the death of Arthur, which yeah. doesn't appear till Jeffrey of Monmouth. Yeah. Now, I'm just saying, we've discovered... But foreshadowing. Yeah. So uh, the one awful experience I had was having to agree with disagree with Professor (laughs) Tolkien. Now that Difficult, <laughs> you know, even even though he doesn't know, even thinking that I disagreed with him was, was a difficult <laughs> thing to do. But when we were looking at Fled Brickren, which yeah. is the story of Brickrew's Feast and the beheading game, yeah. the great beheading game that Cahullan enters into with Kuroi, yeah, and uh, he and his introduction to Gawain and the Green Knight, which con- contains very similar motive, yeah, which is a 14th century English yeah. poem in the Northern English <laughs> vernacular. Mm he says that he doesn't show any signs of being influenced by the irish material yeah i'm afraid i don't agree oh. there's definitely the irish material is so significant in storytelling oh, yeah. yeah. that it cannot possibly it can't be otherwise oh but something we forgot oh, the fisher <laughs> king
0: isn't it yeah the idea like the fisher king is also similar to oh, to Luder. characters
4: yeah there is the original fisher king yeah yeah um and he isn't even an irish figure no no well he's sort of he's an irish version of
0: a brand... foreigner, yeah. isn't it like brand brand have... Bran the blessed as well is kind of a similar Bran is an interesting one yeah he, he has many aspects which seem to be specifically british yes. i would say he, he's very much a i mean he's buried british. under the tower of london i hope he's english I know. and uh, you know british welsh there is something mm. very interesting going there
4: mm. going on there um not man of and yeah. Of course, is actually his brother. Yeah. So the and Welsh it. version of Malanan. Mm. But there was something I was going to say specifically about leprechauns that we yet to say. <laughs> yes. Oh so yeah, yeah,
0: we're we're yeah, yeah. Let's get back to that. <laughs> <laughs> well, there was something we were talking. Well, they're about. so small. You, I, mean, I mean, you, you wouldn't notice the late, them.
4: Yeah, you know, foreshadowing of later well-known stories. Yeah. And of course, the 14th or 12th to 14th century of Yvdorn. Yeah. You know, the leprechauns and his interactions with Fergus and how Fergus is druid. Or well, Drewy, yeah. uh, Fergus's poet, yeah. went back to visit the uh, uh, Lugapan, that they looked at him was a big, scary giant, <laughs> even though he was a dwarf in the Ulster Court. And of course, there was a, somebody, this became available in English around yeah. 1700. Mm-hmm. And there was a certain book that was written in 1725 mm. by a very well known Irish author, yes, Dean Jonathan Dean Swift. Dean Jonathan Swift. Yes, so this is probably the source material for Gulliver's travels. You're and
0: kidding and me! So, like, the Lilliputians might be lagerpacks,
4: right? Oh, big time, big time. And again, there, there are certain details within the story... Carry through, such as oh they're, they're holding up the way they want the women keep wanting to hold them, hold this little king yeah. of the leprechauns to their breath, yeah, like a, a baby. baby, yeah, and how he doesn't like the smell, yeah, that the, the their breath. breath is going to choke him to death, and yeah. you find it almost the exact parallel, yeah, word for word in um, in this 14th century, uh, for, yeah, sorry the, the other way round, you know, yeah, yeah, travels, yeah, and of course you've also got the Robin mm. section mm. in the oil, yeah, it goes to the. Wor- of the leprechaun yeah. where he's a giant yeah. Or yeah yeah you know so you've got the distinct parallel par- parallels so talk about reinterpretation mm. what a wonderful reinterpretation that is yeah yeah and again you know th- there's a lot of people uh would consider gulliver's travels to be if you like an early fantasy novel it's yes, one yeah. of the earliest um, novels full stop. I well it think. is yeah yeah but you know that in terms of when, when you're trying to trace mm. the histories of genres yes, it's not considered to be a novel yet, yeah yeah but, but it is it right. is a um a what you call it um precursor to the, the fantasy genre, you know. Um, so it's still good progress, but that's enough. Yeah. That's enough. <laughs> <laughs> no, sorry, it's, uh, but it's just interesting that when you were f- talking about uh, inspired retelling, yeah, the, the story of the look yes. is still known. Gullops, yeah, yeah, I think that's great. Yeah, <laughs> so he leaves out some of the best bits. Well, yeah. Dean Jonathan
2: Swift was not going to tell the story
0: of the relationship <laughs> between Upton's wife. David. Oh yeah, the not yeah. safe for work bits. This <laughs> is this will be the bit that makes it more like a regular kind of epic show. Which please don't listen because you'll be like, oh yeah, we're really interested. This guy from America is going to have us on the show, and then you're listening. He's like, what's that about the penguins and the seals and the oh my god. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
4: that's the bit after Yevdor falls in the king's porridge. Yes, and Bevo thinks it's very funny, but won't leave him. Yeah, uh, and so they're caught by the court, and uh, yes, Fergus takes a shine to the king of the leverkorns and sends Yevdor off with the hoi exactly. which is the actual word that's used. You know, he yeah. sends him off with the peasants. Yeah, go go in there. We don't want you in here. Yeah, and uh, okay. then sort of uh, he laps into bed with Bevo. She keeps his hand on top of the crown of her head and she says to him why is it that you keep on doing that and he said well it's just a wonder to me that here's you and you're only three fists high and my manly member literal translation is seven fists high so i'm waiting for it to pop out top of your head and she laughs at him and says, oh, Fergus, don't you know how much a woman's eyes is going to absorb? But even funnier yeah. is that you've Joffdum keeps hopping yeah. back in the room. He keeps trying to get Fergus's attention, and they keep on throwing him out. And he keeps saying, um, oh, I can see you're enjoying yourself. Yeah, he like, like, go away. Yeah. Next time he comes back, I can see she's enjoying, enjoying herself. Go away. And then he comes back the third time and goes, I can see you're both enjoying yourself. Well, yeah. But all he wants is to be put in a higher while sleeping with, with another king. It's all because he's been putting on with a peasant he wants his own chamber. <laughs> his status isn't being honest. Yeah. But no, a great story. By the way, the, 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 if you look for the version Lion by Stanley Grady, you won't find that. Bit. No, exactly. he, he expunged it in the late 19th yes, century. Yes. We've restored it. Yes, thankfully. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, these stories are just, they're so, I think one of the things we find again and again is that they're much more full of humour for time. Yeah, the story of time. Do you know that joke about it? Sometimes it's Jehovah's Witnesses, yeah. sometimes it's um, the, the, the the free Presbyterian. Uh, but always that you know, one group gets to heaven and there's a big uh, wall across heaven. Yeah. And they go, what's the wall for? Mm. St. Peter or whoever it is in this story says, oh, it's to make sure the the, the whatever, whatever it is, group, yeah. the, the Jehovah's Witnesses or whoever is the butt of the joke, don't think they they, they think they're the only ones there. Yeah. That joke was first made by a scribe. Yeah. <laughs> centuries ago. Yeah. When his vision of this other world that he sets up, there's a wonderful fortress for people in the past, yeah. a wonderful fortress for the present, and a wonderful one for the future, mm-hmm. where this character Connor is, who doesn't realize that this girl who picked him up and took him to the other world is not going to allow him to have any sort of relationship with her. Yes. Because they don't in Christian society. I and know. He hasn't told her that. Yeah. Or yeah. she hasn't told him that. Yeah. Though. But the best bit... Oh, go on. I'm am no, no,
3: it's it's the
4: is it the golden palisade or is yeah, that a silver palisade? The, the, it, it, no, it's a golden. Yes. Right in the middle, there's an island, and this is where this little island is where they put all the, all the saints. Yes. And there's a golden palisade right round it, yeah. so that they think they're the only ones who are there. Yeah. And I think yeah. that's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I, I, I'd love to send that one to people who you know track the history of humor and the history of particular jokes, because of course jokes are one of the most vibrant oral forms of story and that's another early middle irish yeah story, it is yeah it? yeah 12 to 14 yeah yeah so yeah um and but i think that a lot of the kind of modern retelling things they tend to be a bit po-faced. oh god you did this the 90s the late 19th yeah. century when you wanted this sort of somehow they wanted this heroic yeah. sadness yeah, yeah yeah which had to be this through the romance um you know that sort of the romantic i sadness think they're kind
0: of both fantastic so it could be though irish. I think they're both kind of fantastic though again me being the 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 American here is like oh I like it both I like the sad stories and I like the epic stories and I like the stories with the bits of humor and then I mean it's it's just they seem very much alive and and very vibrant in terms of of the the story and I think that's the exciting thing as people who enjoy stories um, enjoy popular culture is that the thing that we get bored of in America is like oh it's another bloody zombie film it's another it's it's another oh god am I going to watch the sixth time the origin of Dracula and Dracula untold It's like I get it he's from Romania I it's not that interesting Give me something new and and I, I think new is old old is new it's like finding yeah, yeah. finding interesting stories like this and like realizing like you don't have to go to the same well every five at five oh, minutes who? you know
4: Oh no, well this is you know and again Because even the, the bits that are more generally known, yeah, they're, they're not the best bits, and they're, they've become very watered down and very kind of monotone, you know, and yet there's so much good stuff. Why would there. you find anyone who has to carry a corpse on their back uh, yeah. so he can go and get a drink of water? Yeah, exactly. I'd rather have that than zombies. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, especially when he takes them into a world of, you know, yeah. sometimes I think it's a shame that there was so much bowdlerization yeah. going on. Yeah. I think that's what we were saying. The late yeah. 19th century kind of bowdlerized the stories to try and make them more classically appropriate, yeah. as if the classical stories were... were I know, yeah, but there was also, again, that there was a sort of a socio-political uh, agenda going on whereby, you know, that again, it was trying to uh, reassert the Irish people as people with their own culture and you know, because of the the narrative
0: in the sort of English colonial mind was that the Irish were barbaric. And, and were that if they'd learned Irish, they would have been like, oh, what do you mean we stole your culture? <laughs> what do you mean King Arthur's <laughs> this thing? The general literary yeah. perception
4: of the Irish texts, yeah, of the late 19th century, mm. was that they were barbarous and of no literary value whatsoever, yeah. Even held by people who were working to translate and publish the Irish material, you know, so that the they were trying to make them sort of more classical. Yeah, but also to sort of trying okay, to. They don't need it. Yeah, well, exactly. But, but okay. then trying to uh, fit them into Victorian sensibilities. Which is exactly what the monks were doing. Exactly. Yeah. In the, you know, in, <laughs> in the, the 12th century, to 14th century, 12th to 14th century yeah. when they tried to make them fit a sort of more romantic, magical um,
0: pattern. Yeah. What the poets were doing are there, so made, made into fairy are there are there any are there any sorry i keep interrupting but like are there any uh-huh. stories that are kind of like i think the most famous anglicization of of a clearly pagan story in um at least in england is is, uh, is beowulf and like the oh. idea that we don't have a real version of the story essentially because it's all like the monks are just like well and then well, he's he's um uh let's say uh cain this is responsible and uh or um uh, that's where the monster comes from. Uh but it's interesting that even the uh, Beowulf,
4: the same with mm. the, the Dream of the rood, which mm. is about the same time, which is taking an absolutely Christian story. Mm. But pagan
0: so, yeah. so the Irish got their, their come up and they, they they paganized Christian stories. I kinda like that actually. <laughs> <laughs>
4: or Christianized um, the Irish stories or, you know, deliberately set out to crush some mysterious pre-Christian religion. Um, But in fact, first of all, there was no sense that these were exclusive worldviews. There was no sense that you couldn't be a Christian if you appreciated the native literature, which is, again, is one of the things that I think demonstrates that what was there pre-Christianity wasn't a structured religion in the way we understand it now. Also, the, the form of Christianity that took root in Ireland was the monastic form, which I think, and I don't think I'm the only one who thinks it, is a almost direct continuation from pre-Christian poetic schools. And so there was much more of a uh, con- uh, continuity. There was much more kind of worldviews going on and yeah. it's not until much later it's not until the 12th to 14th century when um, Europe, nervous, when European Christianity is trying to sort of take control over the native Christian church of uh, both Britain and you Ireland also, yeah, you've also got they, to remember that Colmkill wasn't Catholic no exactly this is very much pre-Catholicism but you know there, there was if you like a, an insular form of Christianity between the British Isles that the that took hold in the early days that did start to cause problems then. You know, okay. when time to get a synod of be in 667, there's already problems. Um, so there wasn't that sort of deliberate Christian crushing of some native tradition. I mean, you you, you know, uh, we're not contradicting ourselves. There were times when they got slightly nervous. They did. but And they were very keen on Yeah, That was another problem. Yes, they yeah. Trying to fit everybody into a historical order. Exactly. With the native material. I mean, here
0: was they didn't censor it; they just let it go with one or two. Oh, that's a bit yeah. in the back. Oh, Let's put in a comment. Exactly. Oh, is that is more that nice more is that more unique to Ireland though? Because I think there's the the classic perception in in the in the West at least that these monastic schools where they were literally writing down the classics and and, and doing this from from all sorts of different cultures. From the I mean, yeah. the reason that we have extant like surviving greek texts or roman texts and in, in english is because they kept writing them <laughs> it's and so these that's the that's the first thing that an english literature class you're supposed to learn is like is is essentially well thanks to ireland we have this and that and and so that and that's what i learned in high school it was pretty much just like well we have this beowulf or we have this story uh uh the the Eniad or whatever and it's like and ah, we wouldn't have had it if uh if you, let me tell you about uh about uh this fella here and and this particular story and and it, it it's really interesting is the idea that that you guys are responsible for essentially preserving western culture and then you didn't get credit for it until recently <laughs>
4: Talking about that there was an Irish version of the Roman Civil War in Catacombs. That's after, what you yeah, were talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was actually an a um, r- Irish yeah. language account, you know, or, or translations as they would have been of, of you know, the wanderings of Ulysses and. all um, oh, oh, things, so yeah. The Roman, Civil, the Roman War. Civil War and all those kind of things. Yeah, but, but that was because, again, what was brought in in Ireland with Christianity was this magic thing called a book, you know, where suddenly you could both read and write. Stories from these far-flung, exotic places, which were essentially the other world. You know, there's an Irish telling of uh, the journeys of Marco Polo. Um, what they were interested in was stories. What they were interested in was knowledge and education. It didn't matter what the source was. See, this book suddenly came into this wonderful oral oh, this, yeah. this place of oral storytelling mm. where it was so alive and it was accepted yeah, but not separate. No, exactly. <laughs> it was suddenly it was a new tool for learning and. With very open arms, Um, and yet, uh, like I say, this other peculiarity that they were coming across text in the Latin language, which then was entirely existed within books. It wasn't a spoken language, Um, and so you know there was this tradition that very quickly established of reading and writing in Ireland. And then, of course, they were sent off all across Europe and there was a
0: book published a few years ago called How the Irish Saved Civilization absolutely I yeah I hate it with oh you a don't passion. like it no I hate it with a passion it's far too Christian it's far too one sided uh, yeah I can't even remember now all of the specific so, things I hate so it is It, it is that it doesn't it give it. credit to as you say like the poetic schools like the monastic tradition oh, is more a continuation of, of poetic schools that would have already existed in Ireland is that the main contention or like they save civilization because they like good stories, is what it sounds like. It, it sounds like you save civilization because, oh, that's a good story. Why don't we keep that one? Well, yeah. Uh, well, I mean, it, it's one of these oxymorons
4: that Irish people are really capable of, which is saying, oh, yes, of course, the Irish educated Europe during the Dark Ages. So let's unlike that statement. You're saying that at the time when knowledge and education
2: was at an all time low, the teachers were Irish? Oh! <laughs> Sorry! <laughs>
4: So, so. oh my God, it's
0: so badly getting that. <laughs> you seem rather enjoying the episode though <laughs> you... that so that's why you just spend forty minutes talking about 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 Milanon and you're like're like oh, who's this Brendan fellow anyway oh. <laughs>
4: He's not even allowed to stay. I know. And the high point of that story is yeah. not his arrival, which is totally anti yeah. His The high point of that is sending some poor brother to be dragged off to hell because it's predetermined. Yeah. You know, it's predestination that it's, that it's going to happen whatever yeah. he's done or not done. Yeah, but yeah. it's horrible. But and it's that, absolutely absolutely that awful. makes the, the makes the sufferings of the uh, Ikora yeah. positively acceptable. Yeah, yeah. No, we don't like
0: that story. No. <laughs> I think. Because he had a loud voice. Oh. Bit of a lad. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Copyright. Yeah. If you yeah, if you so can't what tell. Could more, what could be more Irish than going to war over copyright? Quite frankly. <laughs> you know, I, I think going to war over cows. That's something that seems to happen a lot.
1: Oh yeah. Uh, but I mean that was just kind of your your it's more about your Saturday night entertainment. So, uh, <laughs>
4: Like, yeah. what my wife works. Yeah, yeah, that seems like a fair idea. <laughs> yeah, they did uh yeah, I I'm sorry to say because I don't personally like cows very much, but they were absolutely the all and end all in early. Yeah, I did have exactly.
0: I did have one I had have um, one tiny question that might not be fair and then i think i'll close with a bit about archaeology because that'll give us a chance for another big on rant is there's the english saying by the skin of my back and i was listening to to one of your episodes about uh and i'm wondering do you think that that might be to do with the finiac thing of of uh, of the guy who gets his the skin of his back yeah he gets his skin literally ripped off his back and that's how he gets away and it's like do because that's a pretty old story Well, by the, skin of, by, by the skin of my back is something I've, I've heard. I've definitely heard that, and I don't... I imagine maybe they're related. It's possible. I mean, I,
4: I went to a paper um, at the Celtic Congress in Aberystwyth, which was about, essentially, a load of entries in the Oxford English Dictionary, which said, derivation unknown. They're usually Irish. And this guy was saying, pretty much, this whole collection of things saying, derivation unknown, they all had Celtic sources. You know, and there is this unbelievable... Willful blindness, um, with particularly—I'm sorry to say—the English culture. Don't be sorry. I, I agree with you. And, and Irish influence, you know. And it's—it's—it's it's, it's bizarre sometimes how deliberately, you know, an, an English scholar will just not see the huge amount of Irish evidence. Yes, Tolkien didn't take the Irish sources. Yeah, my, grand, my my uncle, who was a tremendous scholar, twenty. Mm. And Languages in and County. Yeah. But he never learned Irish. Yeah, never regarded it as relevant. Exactly. Yeah. So, so it can be very difficult to say for certain. Every now and then, though, you do get an image so, like that. It's a great story mm. with the skin being taken off one's back. It's yeah. quite a late story. Well, that part of it mm. is it's quite late. But, um, or there is a late form of it. Yeah. It could easily have gone off to America yeah. and been retained as a folk image yeah. when it's been forgotten here. Oh, and that absolutely. happens quite frequent. Oh, it does, yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, I mean, uh, and the other way around, you know, that, uh, there was uh, something on QI not long ago about mm. Victorian slang, and, uh, you know, there was a phrase of the, the last shake of the bag or shakings of the bag, uh, meaning the, the youngest of a
0: large family something i hear people around here say i've heard you know people we don't say that we do in america we, we do say three shakes of a lamb's tail which i have no idea where the hell that came from well that's it it was listed as
4: victorian slang you know but, but it's still current it's here. current here you know so it can be very very so, you know when we were looking for the stories of the god of yeah and uh, i went on to several american sites mm. looking for tellings which had gone on existing there, yeah, yeah. which have been lost here. Yeah. So you know that stories get carried to America, yeah. told as folk tales. They make the settings change, yeah. but the motifs are still the same. Yeah. And they often retain elements that have completely got lost here. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, in, in much the same way as obviously the Grey Rabbit mm-hmm. uh, stories uh, go right back to the Nancy stories. You know. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I like mean, I do you think I have Zumo? Yeah. Grey Rabbit. Yeah. So you know, there are many ways in which like the United States, because it is made up of immigrants from all over the world, they will hang on to what they see as their cultural identity in a way that we don't hear. You know, it's, 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 if sometimes you feel that it's going to add to that long journey of the story... Oh. And sometimes, when it just ideas get picked up, because you can do such incredible things nowadays, mm. the, the the story could get lost and go in a completely different direction. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, that's not the first time that's happened. You know, no, no, Eugene O'Carry did something oh very God, similar. Yeah. What he did but, to Shannon. Yeah. But just I'm just thinking now, actually, particularly with reference to the Morrigan, and with reference to the way that you know she has been per- portrayed, you know, in popular culture for the last thousand years. Yeah, you know, it's not it's, new. It's not new. It's not recent. But it is one of the most um, frequently picked up on uh, parts of story archaeology. I would say we've had more contact from people interested in the Morrigan material than in almost anything else. You know, and in fact, some people who are using it for their own artistic projects, and they want to get it right. And, you know, they're interested in what is uh, what it really is about. Because it's so much richer. Yeah, because it's just in this boring old battle hag. Yeah, exactly. So... You know it is interesting that um there's one of the better known names from irish mythology yeah. and clearly you know people who aren't or weren't previously familiar with the original material knew there was something wrong and that it, when, they, well, found it, up, when it. they found the material it really spoke to them yeah you know so that that's i think an example of why it's important and how it does actually reach people you know, oh how thank people
0: you Thank you so much, yeah. What we found, I mean, years ago, Shinan was a story I discovered when I, 25 years ago. It's your first episode, right? Yeah? I created my own version of it, Uh. um,
4: which I felt I wanted, I didn't want a disobedient woman. Uh. Yeah. I wanted this woman who dared to be creative. Yeah. And so I told my own version of the story, which Uh. respected the story. Yeah. But funny enough, when we came came to the real version, we realized that, goodness sake she went to the bottom of the sea to find the most difficult thing of all which was finding uh, inspiration support. that she was the woman searching for her creativity yeah. And Eugenio Cary had kind of mixed her up with Bowen and kind of repressed it. Absolutely, yeah. And yet, it was his version of the story that was current, you know, and that got repeated. Every we spent ages looking for two versions. Yeah. We thought there must be two versions. Yeah. The Dintianicus version. Yeah. And um, then the Eugenio the 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 you know, yeah, version. I said the Book of uh, invasions version. Oh. Book of yeah. Esther, yeah. uh, sorry. Yeah. And I spend, we, we spent months looking for yes. this to discover that, in fact, there wasn't another version. Yeah. That the only version
0: was Dintianicus yeah. version. Mm. And it that's became, that's beautiful. It so rich. Yeah, yeah. I I think like, if, it, if it, I can it if was our first episode yeah, and it, it kind of marks what's happened ever since. I you guess know, it has been that kind of journey of discovery. I guess what's so fantastic is is when you go on a journey of discovery when you're interested in finding out more about about a story or a route mm-hmm. I I think it was so lovely to find. It. I was curious about my last name because oh, it's it's mm-hmm. Canada. It's it's an odd name, at least for an yeah. American to have. And so, and so you go searching around and I still don't know very much about the family history because there's a lot written about it but it doesn't, it's hard to tie in to, to a particular sense of who or what you are in relation to, yeah. to a wider story but then it, it, it was fantastic where should it's people funny. go looking? well I think that if people really want to celebrate St. Patrick's Day
4: in Liverpool they should put on some swimming toads and stick some herbs in their ears <laughs> Yeah, go join the Liverpool yeah them from its story. Yeah. Yeah. And if that wasn't true, people would be wouldn't go going to the cinema or watching television. Exactly. We are hardwired for stories. Yeah. And uh we think the older ones the oldest ones are some of the best. Yeah, and of course that people should come over to Ireland and spend a lot of money here. So. You don't say <laughs> that. I'm I'm contractually obliged to say that. <laughs> As an Irish person. <laughs> But people do come and visit, you know, and uh, particularly with the kind of work that uh, Chris used to do, there are still visitors who come through every now and then, and it's always actually it's a great pleasure. It's a great pleasure and to come sit and down. With I don't have yeah. the labyrinth anymore, no. but I do have the tree circle, which is older than the labyrinth, but it works. And, and uh, yeah, we're always and if people do come to Ireland, we're always happy to see them. Yeah, and to if I'm in the country, yeah, oh, well, yeah. <laughs> But, yeah, you know, that it, it really is an, an enormous pleasure to sit down and, and share stories. It's not just a one-way street. You know, whenever we tell a story, we get a story back. Yeah, and we're, you know, we're happy to, you know, people comment we will answer. Yeah. Is that
0: enough? Oh, that's more than enough. Thank you guys so, so much for, for your time. And...